founding lead pastor. Can I pray for you, Jr.? Absolutely. I need prayer. Awesome. Okay. So, Lord, we thank you for this man of God. We thank you for his history with you. We thank you for the leadership, his faithful leadership of this community for many, many years. I thank you that when you look upon this man, you smile and you say, well done, good and faithful servant. So, Lord, I just ask that you would fill his heart with joy as he opens up 1 Corinthians to us. And I pray that you would give us ears to hear what you are saying. And you would let the word go forth with power and enrich his words by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much, Marcus. Love you, Okay. So, I'll tell you what. Could you guys move down a little bit closer? Because I can't, in the back, if you're in the back, if you could just move down a little closer. I don't want you to be uncomfortable, but... But I do, I want to, it, it helps me when I can see you. And uh, you guys are so far back there that uh, it's kind of like the South Stands at the Bronco game. We, want, we don't want you to have to sit in the cheap seats. And if you're not comfortable moving down, you can just sit back there. But it just helps me to see your faces. So uh, anyway, yeah, Eddie James, man, if, when you see this guy, he's big. He could, he could be the nose guard for the, for the Denver Broncos defense. I mean, and they could use him. <laughs> but anyway, it's amazing. So don't miss out on him. He's really awesome. So anyway, it's great to see you guys tonight. I'm glad you're here. We're going to jump right into 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And uh, just to give you a little quick uh, shot here about, uh, you know, it's interesting. <laughs> uh, actually, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 it kind of it ends on a, a principle. In fact, it's found, I don't think I have the, no, I don't think I have the, uh, do I have it? I don't think I do. Okay, anyway, I'm going to, it's actually, if you look at, uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and uh, you'll see here, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, just go to verse 27. It kind of sums up, it actually sums up the, the chapter, and uh, Let's see if I can find it here. And uh, I'm reading from the ESV right now. It says, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Now think about that. God chose the foolish and the weak. Not, (laughs) he didn't choose those who thought they were wise and those who thought they were strong. How many of you qualify how many would say, yeah, I qualify, I, whoa, that's the wrong place to stand. Anyway, how many would say, uh, I qualify, I'm weak, and I can really be foolish at times? Would you, uh, good, thank you. I'm glad I'm speaking to an audience that I can relate to. Okay, because, you know, the truth is that when we're weak, that's when we, that's when we find true strength. Uh, if you go over to chapter one of 1 Corinthians, uh, in fact, we'll put this up, we'll put the slide up. Um, how many have ever felt weak and insecure? <laughs> I got to tell you, uh, the thing I love about the Apostle Paul is he was so honest. And he is so honest here. In fact, uh, he says, starting in verse 1 to verse 3, And when I came to you, brothers and sisters, actually, uh, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Now let me say, he could have come with lofty speech and wisdom. He was amazingly trained. He knew the law better than anybody else. He was a Pharisee at one time. He studied under Gamaliel. He had tremendous wisdom. 
but he didn't come in that wisdom. And he also goes on to say, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. In other words, the very tenet of life for him was the crucif- Jesus Christ when he came to know him on the road to Damascus and recognizing that in his crucifixion, he took all the sins of the world upon himself and operated in love for us. And goes on to say this, uh, he said, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Now, do you know what the difference is between trembling and much trembling? This is trembling. This is much trembling. Anyway, the first time I preached, I was in fear and much trembling. Now, I know part of that fear is a fear, an awesome fear and reverence for God, but it's also a fear of people. You see, I, I would have failed public speaking in high school had it not been for a very strange series of events. And so when God called me into the ministry, I, I think it saved us 28 and a half, and my life was a mess. And so uh, I remember, uh, and I, I, I got a full scholarship to seminary, which was a weird deal. I mean, it was a miracle because I had terrible grades. Anyway, the, the thing that happened was, I remember I was a youth pastor, and I could talk to a few kids, that was fine, but it was a large Presbyterian church, and the pastor said, I want you to, I want you to preach. And I said, no, no, that's okay. He goes, no, I really want you to. I go, no, I don't need to. I'm, I'm really happy with the youth group. He goes, no, I want you to preach. So after a long argument, I said, okay, all right, I'll do it, Pastor Ernie, I'll preach. Well, then I was, an, I was like a nervous wreck. And this was about three weeks out. I was a nervous wreck for the next three weeks. The night before I was to preach, uh, I got up at 12 o'clock because I couldn't sleep. I went out and kneeled down by a tree, this little tree by seminary housing. And I said, God, if you can take this cup from me, <laughs> please do it. Because this is a cup of suffering, but not my will, but your will be done. I went out at 2 o'clock because I couldn't sleep. I went out at 4 o'clock because I still couldn't sleep. And I went out at 6 o'clock and did it again just as the sun was starting to, I mean, just as the light was starting to break through the horizon. I mean, I was a nervous wreck. Now, the thing that was so interesting is they had me wear a robe. I had to preach at the 9 o'clock and the 11 o'clock. And they had, they had two services, and I had to preach at the 9 o'clock. Now, thank God for the robe. Now, even though there was a pulpit there, I still think they could have seen my knees knocking. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, the funny thing was that... Um, there were two services. Now, this was a, a Presbyterian church, and they didn't give an altar call. But because I'd gotten saved recently, I asked Pastor Ernie, I said, do you mind if I give people a chance to receive Christ? He goes, no, that's fine. So anyway, I preached everything I knew in 20 minutes. <laughs> if I showed you a video, you, you would have gone, that was not very good, Pastor JR. We love you, but that was not very good. Anyway, the funny thing was, uh, when I gave people a chance to receive the Lord, three people... And I knew it wasn't my preaching, but three people raised their hand to give their life to the Lord. I led them in the sinner's prayer out of shock. And then, uh, you know what? I had an actual excitement. I was still nervous and insecure going into the 11 o'clock, but I was excited. I just wanted to get through the message and give people a chance to receive Jesus. And in the, in the, in the 11 o'clock service, two people gave their life to Jesus. And that kind of got me over the hump. Now, I still was insecure, but, but at least I had done it. You know, and sometimes the way we have to face our insecurity is by just stepping out, just stepping out of the boat. Uh, you know, Paul goes on to say, uh, and by the way, let me, show you the, let me show you what the word weakness means uh, in, the, in, the, in, you know, in the Greek. Uh, it's the word athenia, and uh, we'll put it up here. Uh, it's athenia, and it means without strength, that should be uh, or ability, to accomplish 
whatever it might be, in our own power. In other words, we don't have the strength or the ability to get the job done. And, you know, uh, I got to tell you, I knew that I didn't have the strength or the ability to do what God was calling me to do, but I knew he called me to do it, and I knew I had to do it. So sometimes you just step out, and you just hope for the best. And, uh, and fortunately, people gave their life to the Lord, even though I don't think anybody said that was a great message, Pastor. <laughs> if they did, it was just out of kindness. Uh, so, uh, you know, Paul goes on to say, after he had, said, uh, after he had just said that, uh, you know, and, and I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling, he goes on to say, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. Now again, he brings us up this term wisdom because he had the ability to speak in great wisdom. He had great wisdom. I mean, he knew the Old Testament better than anybody. He was the one they picked to persecute uh, this upstart uh, cult called Christianity. Uh, but in demonstrate, but he said, not in words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Say the power of God. See, the Apostle Paul recognized that, yeah, he could wow people probably with wisdom. And by the way, it's interesting, in chapter one, it says the Jews seek a sign, but the Greeks or the Gentiles seek wisdom. You know, they were the philosophers of the day. Socrates, for example, was Greek. Uh, they were philosophers. And so even the Christians would get into philosophy and talking about wisdom. In fact, Gnosticism, which was a, basically a, it was a perversion of the gospel. But Gnosticism said, yeah, you need Jesus, but you need supernatural or special wisdom. And if you come to us, we'll give you that special wisdom. So there was a lot of emphasis on wisdom. But Paul, that's why when Paul said, you know what, I came but nothing only Jesus Christ and him crucified. That was getting rid of all the, the you know, all the philosophies and all the, the stuff. He wanted to simplify it and make it clear that it was Jesus and him crucified. And, uh, you know, it's amazing how many people in, lives, in life have had this experience where they have no, no power, no ability, and yet God somehow gives them as they step out. Now, you've got to step out. And insecurity is something that we all face, and there's always tasks that are bigger than we are. Let me tell you this, if, God's call, if you feel God's called you to do something, and you can do it in your own ability and power, that's probably not God. That's probably, if you can just do it, because you have the ability, that's probably not fully God. Now, I'm not saying God hasn't called you to do that, but he's called you to do more than that. And so it's really important to know that God's gonna call you to step out beyond your own abilities. You know. God loved Peter. I mean, he had Peter preach on the day of Pentecost even after Peter had, had denied him three times. But think about it. All the disciples in the boat, Jesus says, come, and the only guy that steps out is Peter. Now, he actually walked on the water for a little while until he looked at the waves, and then all of a sudden, blub, 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 blub. But Jesus pulled him up, and you know what? I believe that Jesus was so much prouder of him than the guys back in the boat who are probably saying, oh, there goes Peter again, stepping out. I want you to know, you've got to, in your insecurity, the only way you can overcome it is by trusting God and stepping out and hoping for the best. So, very important to recognize that, and uh, I, I just got to tell you that um, Paul was a guy who was considered weak, and 
he was considered not a good speaker. He was considered by the, by the super apostles, uh, they felt like they were much more anointed than he was because they, they were maybe more, they, maybe they had more charisma than he did. And so it's interesting. If you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I'll put it up here. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 10 through 12, uh, Paul's writing this and he says, for some say Paul's letters are demanding and forceful, but in person, he is weak, meaning he can't get the job done. He doesn't have it. He doesn't have the anointing or the ability. And then he goes on to say this. Uh, it says, um, and his speeches are worthless. <laughs> Think about that. That wouldn't really make you feel really good, would it? I mean, if you were about to get, to, you know, you were about to stand up and speak and somebody goes, oh, here comes Paul, he can't, he's a terrible speaker and he's weak and he's, you know, his, his speeches are worthless. I wouldn't even, I would leave if I were you. Yeah, there they go. Anyway, uh, those people should realize that our actions when we arrive in person will be as forceful as what we say in our letters, but far, from far away. Oh, don't worry. We wouldn't dare say that we are as wonderful as those other men who tell you how important they are. And this was the super apostles. They thought they were awesome, and they promoted themselves and put down Paul. But they're only comparing themselves with each other, using themselves as the standard of measurement. How ignorant. Another version says they comparing, comparing themselves among themselves, they were not wise. I want you to know when we compare ourselves to others, we can always find, you know, people that are lower than us and we can always find people better than us. How many know it's not wise to compare? It's just important to do what God tells you and to walk close to him and uh, not get into a performance orientation situation. So uh, another scripture in 2 Corinthians 11, just the next chapter, verses 5 and 6, Paul says, but I don't consider myself inferior in any way to these super apostles who teach such things. I may be unskilled as a speaker. He even says, I, I may not be that great a speaker. However, I'm not lacking in knowledge. We have made this clear to you in every possible way. So Paul even admits, he said, I might, I might not be that great a speaker. Here's the interesting thing. How many books in the Bible were written by super apostles? Does anybody want to guess? That's not three, that's zero. <laughs> zero, none. Now they thought they were great, they thought they were really amazing. Paul was the one who in his faithfulness, he wrote those letters that became part of God's word. Now think about that. He wasn't maybe the best speaker of the day. He wasn't by his own admission. But he had tremendous wisdom that he received from God and he dispensed that wisdom. He dispensed it when he spoke, but he also dispensed it in letters that now have become the word of God. I mean, that's amazing. A guy that just <laughs> was in fear and trembling and was insecure, he was in weakness, and yet God used him mightily. I believe this should give us all hope that no matter how inadequate we feel, no matter how, uh, how much we feel we don't have the inability to get the job done, if God's calling you to do, here, here's what I've heard, I've heard this saying many times, I love it. What God appoints, God anoints. 
Let me say it again. What God appoints, say that with me. One, two, three. What God appoints, God anoints. Even though you may not feel that anointing, you may not feel that God's, you know, I mean, you may not feel it, but there's times when he tells you to step out of the boat, you need to do it. And even if you get wet, it's okay. And I think that's the big thing. Sometimes, you know, if we're so afraid to fail, we'll never succeed. You know, I, I think one of, the, one of the most interesting things that I've found in my own life is that if you're not willing to step out because you're afraid to fail, how can you succeed? Think about it. You've got to be willing to fail. And the good news is God is a God of grace. So even when we don't fully live up to the expectations we have about ourselves, by stepping out and doing what God says, he is so well pleased with us. And I believe that God honors our heart to do what he calls us to do. Maybe it's just reaching out to a friend at work who's just gone through, maybe he's just diagnosed with a horrible disease. Just by reaching out to that person. Maybe you feel, well, I don't feel like I have the right words or I, I don't know the scripture well enough. Or, No, no, no. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Just by reaching out to that person, you have reached out and you've done what God's called you to do. And when you reach out and help somebody who's struggling, you know, Jesus said, when you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it to me. So I just want you to know, it's not just preaching or teaching or being a, you know, somebody on TV or something. No, it's just being obedient in those small things of life. You see, God said, when you're obedient in the small things, then I will bless you in the large things. And he, he knows that he just wants us to be obedient, to do what, he's, what we're called to do. We don't have to be, you know, lights in the lights or anything. You know, I was the lead pastor here for many years, 29 years actually, and then gratefully my son took over and, and uh, you know, and, and he came from the business world. So you can imagine that was a big step. He had to step out of the boat. He had to step out of the boat. And so I admire him. And the thing I most admire is he has such a heart for God. That's the thing that's so amazing. He just, he just wants what God has. He's going after God. And, uh, you know, he hadn't done a whole lot of speaking when he first came. I'm sure it was a little shaky. But you know what? I mean, I think he's an awesome speaker now. I mean, I really enjoy because I know he's pressing into God and getting what God has. He's not just watching somebody on TV and taking notes and then preaching their message. <laughs> We're getting it from God, you know, to, to him from God. And so all I want to say is that there's times when God's calling us to do things, to step out, and we'll hold back because we feel, oh, well, I don't really, I, I'm weak. I'm asthenia. I, I don't have the ability to do it. Well, if God's calling you to do it, he's going to help you. He's going to help you to get the job done. And, uh, and so, you know, when I failed public, well, I would have failed public speaking in college. I'm not going to tell you the story. I've told it a few times. But, but the truth is that if anybody had told me that I would spend the rest of my life doing a whole lot of speaking, I would have said, you know what, you can't pay me enough. You can't pay me enough. <laughs> you can talk about millions of dollars. I'm not doing it. <laughs> There's no way. Because I went through literal, I mean, I mean, I remember the three times I had to give speeches, my, and I waited till the last semester of my senior year. Every time I got up to speak, my mind would just, <laughs> you know, it, just, it would just get all tangled. And, I, and the last time, I'll tell this part of the story. I can't help it. It's, it's a good story for those that haven't heard it. And I see a few new faces. But uh, the last time, it was the, I had spoken twice, and I was on the brink of pass-fail. This is my senior year in, in college. You know, I don't want to fail. 
And so uh, I remember I cut the class before, and this was, my speaking class was right before lunch, and I cut the class before, and I went back to the room, and I was going over my notes and everything, and I had an anxiety attack. And so I went to the refrigerator to get a beer, and my roommate had finished off the beer. And so I thought, yeah, I can't, it's too, I can't go out and get a beer now, it's too late. And uh, I got 20 minutes from now, I gotta be in class. So anyway, there was a bottle of scotch up on the top shelf that he got for Christmas. Now the smell of scotch made me ill, just to be honest. I love beer, I was a beer guy, but scotch, that was a little, that was too much. So I remember taking the scotch, I thought he doesn't care about it, it's been sitting up there since before Christmas, or after Christmas. Anyway, I took it down, I poured about this much in a glass, I went glug, 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 and it was like, ah! It was like daggers in my throat. And so I started wandering across the, across the campus, and uh, it was a beautiful day. It was a day in May. It was in Connecticut where I went to college, and uh, it was a beautiful day in May, and I'm walking across the campus. The birds are singing. I went, oh, I got to speak. Ah! And so I get to the class, and uh, Dr. Markraft goes, Mr. Paul Hemus, you may give your speech. So I get up, and I look out, and the class is undulating like this. They're going up and down. <laughs> I'm relaxed. I feel really relaxed. I go, wow, I think I'm going to do okay. I start to speak, and my brain locks up, and I, I do horrendously bad. I mean, terrible. Well, I went back after the class, and I told my roommate, who I still am very good friends with, uh, I said, Ed, I said, I, I think I failed public speaking. He goes, no. I go, yeah, I did terrible. I did terrible. Well, <laughs> two days later, in my mailbox, I got a sympathy note from Dr. Markraft. He says, I'm so sorry to hear about the tragic death of your brother. I have two younger brothers. I called home immediately. Mom, Dad, are, are Guy and Peter okay? She goes, they're fine. Why? I just said, I'm just checking. Anyway, this is weird. But there was a guy in my class named Chris Palamas. My last name's Paul Hemus. Now, that's pretty close. Dr. Markraft thought it was my brother. That was my twin brother, which I don't have, but my, he thought it was my twin brother was tragically killed. And I'm sure he could spell scotch on my breath. I mean, scotch has a strong smell. So he passed me, it was a sympathy pass. I never told him that I wasn't the guy. I let him think that and I passed. And so I'm just telling you, so you can imagine when I had to get up to speak, how nervous I was. Anyway, the good news was God got me through that. And once you start doing it, I still was nervous and insecure, but gradually I got less and less nervous and insecure. Now, I'm gonna jump, just for time's sake, I'm gonna jump over uh, I'm going to jump over 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 8. Basically, Paul there is comparing worldly wisdom to godly wisdom. You see, the, the, the Gentiles were so into, they were so into wisdom and being puffed up with wisdom, you know, that, that Paul says, hey, you know, the wisdom of the world isn't worth a dime compared, and this is a paraphrase, of course, it doesn't say dime because they didn't have dimes back then. Anyway, it's a paraphrase, uh, but the bottom line was he was saying it's not worth anything compared to the wisdom of God. See, Paul had been a man that knew the wisdom of the world. He knew the wisdom, and he knew the Old Testament so well, but he knew that that wisdom was nothing compared to God's wisdom. And so he'd press in to God's wisdom, and he would basically give that wisdom to others. He would pour it out in his letters, in his, and in, when he would speak, he would release that wisdom. And so not only that, he would operate in the spirit uh, and he would basically, he would, he would release healing. He, he, he raised somebody from the dead. I mean, he would do all kinds of things. And, and the amazing thing was that he understood that the gospel was not just a message. It was a message of salvation 
being saved, forgiven of sin, Jesus Christ coming into your life, but he also knew that part of the gospel was healing. Part of the gospel was uh, healing emotionally, healing physically, healing in all, you know, just there was a full gospel. There was a gospel that really had much to it, that Jesus was with you, that he'd never leave you or forsake you. So the gospel was more than just words. He, he wanted it demonstrated in the power of God. And so when we understand that, it's important. Now I'm gonna jump down to verse nine. 1 Corinthians nine says, but as is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those that love him. Now some people will take this scripture out of context when something isn't clear, where, you, where people don't understand, you know, well this doesn't make any sense, and they'll go, well, you know, God's hard to understand. You know, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor heart of man has imagined what God has prepared for those that love him. But they failed to go on. God wasn't just saying, well, everything's, you can't understand stuff. He was saying, no, 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 no. He goes on into the next verse and he says, but God, these, but these things, uh, other translation says, but God, but this says, these things God has revealed, this is the ESV, God has revealed to us through the Spirit. In other words, these things God reveals to us. It's not some mystery, it's not hidden. He reveals these things. Now sometimes, some things are mysterious and are hard to understand. But he was saying, these things can be understood. And then he explains how they're understood. He says, for the Spirit, capital S, meaning Holy Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person, which is in him? Now, notice that's a small s. The first s is a large s. That's talking about the Holy Spirit. That's God's Spirit. But then he goes on to say, for who knows a person's thought except the Spirit, small s, of that person which is in him. Now, <clears throat> you probably know that we are tripartite beings. God's a tripartite being. He's one God, but he's in three parts. He's what? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, we are also tripartite beings. We're made in the image of God. Now, we're one person. We're not three people. We're one person, but we are, as it says in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, it says, I desire that you be sanctified fully, spirit, soul, and body. So say spirit, soul, and body. Now, our soul is made up of our mind, our emotions, and our will. And our body, this is the earth suit we get around in. This is the earth suit we get around in while we're on earth. And so it's important to take care of your earth suit. It's also important to take care of your mind, your emotions, and your will to keep that focus on God. And then, however, the spirit part of us is the eternal part of us. You see, when you were born again, when Jesus Christ came into your life, your human spirit came alive unto God. Now, you already had a human spirit, but it was, not, it, was, it was not alive unto God because there was sin that blocked that relationship and the Holy Spirit had not come into your spirit. However, when you received Jesus, the Holy Spirit came down to live on the inside of you. And because of that, your spirit came alive unto God. Now, when you were born again, there's only one thing that changed. Your body didn't change. I was going bald at 28 and a half. Now, I had, I had more players on the field than here, but the stands were full. But, but now there's no, no players on the field. But anyway, at that time, 
There, there were some players on the field, but when I got saved, all of a sudden I didn't have a lot of players on the field, if you know what I mean. Also, when I got saved, my emotions, my mind were also messed up. I needed God's word. I needed God's, you know, Holy Spirit to come and help me and, and begin to sanctify me and change me to become more like Jesus. And he's still in process. And, and also, my body, you know, my body didn't change. My, my soul and my spirit didn't change. And, and, you know, but my spirit instantaneously changed. See, your human spirit is going to live on after your body drops. And it'll be connected to part of your soul. So the key is that you have to understand that you're even going to be spending eternity. You're, you're, you're going to live. You're either going to live in smoking or non-smoking. I'd encourage you to go to non-smoking. The only way you can get there is through Jesus. Because it's hot and smoky in the other place. Amen? So I, I'd encourage you. If you haven't made that decision, you need to make that decision. It's so important. Because... God has great things for you, not just here on earth. He's got great things from here. And by the way, this life here is so short. Whether you live 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, 80 years, 100 years, this is still a blip in terms of eternity. We're going to be eternally living with him. I don't know if that doesn't, if that doesn't excite you. Uh, if that doesn't get you on fire, your wood's really wet, and we need to work on that. So uh, first of all, I want you to understand, too, that as we understand this, he says, you know, these things, and, and can you put that, put that back up again? And, and, uh, and so I'll just work from here. So it says, so also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now that's capital S, so it's talking about the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the one, you know, we have, the Holy Spirit is the part of the Godhead that we have the most contact with. Now we talk more about God and Jesus, but the Holy Spirit is the one who really brings it really releases because he lives on the inside of us and he releases what God has. And so it says, <clears throat> so also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from who? From God. And so when you understand that, that's really key, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. See, he wants us to receive that and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. <clears throat> in other words, the way you receive revelation is not through your mind. It's actually through the Holy Spirit releasing into your human spirit. Now, when I was at Princeton Seminary, I had professors who had a lot of knowledge and wisdom in the natural but they didn't have a strong relationship with God. I don't know if they had any relation. You'd think everybody would, but not everybody did. But then there were other professors that really had a strong relationship with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, with God. And when they would impart information, it was revelation. I want you to understand there's revelation and there's information. Now the information was good, it wasn't bad, but when there was revelation, your spirit just soaks it up like a sponge. And I had a professor who was just awesome, Bruce Metzger. He was uh, one of the foremost scholars, but he was so humble, and he had this incredible relationship with God. I had a painting company when I was there, and I painted his house. I got to know he and his wife well. I took all, almost all my biblical courses from him. He would pray before class, and then he would impart this incredible revelation. Now, as I said, information's good. It's not bad, but revelation is so much better. That's what the Holy Spirit imparts into your human spirit. Have you ever been reading the Bible and all of a sudden something jumps out at you and it's like, whoa, that is really amazing. 
Well, you were receiving revelation. The Holy Spirit was illuminating that part of scripture and bringing that revelation to you. It wasn't just information. See, I remember I was hitching on the Oregon coast. I was trying to get back to California and I was hitching and this guy stops and he hands me a little Bible and a little New Testament and I'd read it and I thought, well, Jesus is kind of a cool dude. You know, he did some miracles. And... But then after I got saved and I would read the Bible, wow, I go, wow, this, this really applies to my life. This is really, this is life. I mean, this is amazing. And so the difference, because why was there such a difference? It wasn't that I suddenly got smarter. <clears throat> it's that my spirit had come alive and now I could receive revelation. And so it's very key. That's why when you read the Bible, I encourage you, when you go into the Bible, don't just read it for information. Let the Holy Spirit pray before you read it. Let the, say, Holy Spirit, I ask you to bring. And then as you're reading, just let the Holy Spirit, just let the pages come alive. Let that revelation come. And uh, so I really encourage in that way. Now, let's see, did we, did we finish that? I don't think we did. Is there a little? Oh, we did. Yep. I think we did. Okay, good. Yeah, and it says, we impart the, that in words taught not by human wisdom, uh, but taught by the Spirit, capital S, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So I, I really want you to understand that. That's why uh, praying in tongues is very helpful, because when you pray in tongues, it causes your spirit to be edified, so it also helps revelation. Praying and fasting is good. You know, I won't go into it tonight, but, uh, when I, you know, but actually the physical center of your human spirit is your, is your abdomen. Some of you have a little more of the spirit than others. But anyway, you'll see Eddie James is really filled with the spirit. He's, I mean, you're going to be blown away by Eddie James, by the way. I just want to tell you, he's amazing. And I just saw a video of him. I have never seen him in person, so I, I can't imagine what it's like. So make sure you tell people about that. But anyway, the point is that God imparts things. He parts it into our human spirit, and then we pick it up. It, you know, we pick it up mentally, emotionally. We pick it up, uh, you know, and, and so, but it comes through Holy Spirit to our human spirit. Very important to get that. And that's why praying and fasting, when you fast, that's the part of you that is not working. And so it's more sensitive. Fasting doesn't impress God, but it, rele- it, it changes you, and it helps you to receive from him. From the, you know, from the Spirit. Okay, now let's go on a little further. Uh, let's go to verse 14 through 16. Now, if you'll put that up, I'll, I'll just read it from up here in that way. Uh, okay, it says, the natural person, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. Now, the natural person, that's the person who's not born again. Actually, this has double meaning. It's talking about the person that's not born again, but it's also talking about the person, the part of you that is not your spirit. So the natural part of you, your intellect, your intellect, it does not really, sometimes it fights the things of the spirit of God. And they seem like folly. That's why you have to receive it in your spirit. And, 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 but the, the person that's not born again doesn't accept those things. You know, and that's why when you're sharing Christ with somebody, you have to understand where they're coming from. You know, it sounds like a pipe dream to some. Well, how can it be so good? Jesus died for my sins and I've messed up my whole life and yet Jesus will forgive me? I don't, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense. But that's the reality, that's the truth. And so that's why you gotta pray for those people that you're sharing Christ with. It says, and then it goes on to say this, they're spiritually discerned. What does that mean? They're, they're just, it's, in other words, it's received by your human spirit. That's how you get the things of God, not through your intellect. Then it goes on to say this, the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. 
For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So the, the point is here that it's really, t- you know, we're not to judge. We're not to judge, but we are to discern. Okay, so even that term, the word is, the, it's often the same word in the Greek. But it's important to know we're not to judge others. We're not to judge others' motives. We don't know their hearts. We don't know where they're coming from. We're not to judge. But we are to discern. Discerning means you need to know, you, you not, not just put your head in the sand, but you need to be able to discern things. And the place we discern is here. There's times where I've, I've had a sense here and I've talked myself out of it from here. And I always find out when I talk it, when I talk what I'm, I'm getting a gut feeling about it, which is oftentimes the Holy Spirit releasing something, when I kind of, from my mind, begin to say, well, I don't know if that's true. I don't know. You know, when that happens, uh, I have gotten in trouble. I remember when I first came to this church, uh, there was an individual who I really liked, and he was a youth pastor, and I would kind of promote him and stuff, but inside I started to feel, wow, I don't know, I don't trust this guy. And I thought, gee, maybe I'm losing my heart to release other people into ministry. But I, but, and well, anyway, it turned out I didn't listen to hear. It turned out he had wanted to be the pastor and he was upset that they had chosen me to be the pastor. This is when the church was little tiny church over in the, in the, you know, the warehouse. <laughs> Thank you. $50,000 in debt and uh, all kinds of problems. Anyway, uh, but, but anyway, he had gone around to people and said, well, we're going to have a vote in a year and let's vote Pastor JR out. Well, I didn't know that. Then a couple came to me and said, by the way, do you know what he's doing? And all of a sudden I went, whoa, I wasn't listening to my spirit. I was going by my mind and what I thought and it got, it got me in trouble. And so anyway, God took care of the situation. It worked out. So hallelujah. But anyway, it was a lesson that you really need to listen to your spirit. When God's prompting you on the inside, be careful of not just talking yourself out of it. Amen? I'm sure that's never happened to anybody else. <laughs> I'm sure it has. <laughs> okay, last part. 1 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16. We're going to get through the whole chapter. The natural person... Did I, say, did I read this? Oh, I did it. Okay, good. <laughs> well, it's good to get it twice. Anyway, um, the fact is that, you see, we have to be led by the Spirit. We not only receive from the Holy Spirit, but we need to be led by the Spirit. And so it's essential that we train ourselves how to do that. And as I said, there's a lot of things. Fellowship with other believers is another important thing that helps us. You can't isolate yourself. Paul always had other people that traveled with him. Some of them were flaky and some of them weren't, but, but he always had other people traveling with him. He wasn't just isolated. He wasn't a lone ranger. He wasn't just off by himself. He had other people praying with him and working with him. And so it's really important to have other believers you know, that, you have, that you're friends with, that you can talk to. And when you're going through a hard time, you can share that and they can pray with you. And, you know, and it's great. I mean, it's, it's awesome. The word of God is awesome. Worship is amazing. When you can come into worship, you can be anxiety-ridden, come into worship, and it just kind of melts. Because why? Because you're getting in his presence, and you're realizing the things that you're facing are much smaller in his presence than they are when, when you're not in his presence. In other words, you get a God perspective on the situation. So, bottom line is, let me just finish, wrap this up by saying, uh, first of all, we are all insecure. We're all weak. In fact, Paul said in 
2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, he says, when I'm weak, right at the end of that verse, he says, when I'm weak, that's when I become strong in the things of God. And it's amazing, Paul recognized in the times where he didn't have the ability to carry out what God was asking him to do, he would trust God and God would give him the ability and the strength to do what God had called him to do. And he said, when I'm really weak, and when I'm, and he didn't say insecure, but I'm sure that was part of it. When I'm really weak and insecure, that's when I discover the divine power of God. I want you to know something. If you're here tonight and you're going through a time where you think it's bigger than you are, and I know some of you are going through that, I want you to know God's bigger than the problem you're facing. Let him minister life to you and give you hope, give you strength, and give you the ability to go beyond your ability and your weakness. Amen? I want to pray for you, and then I'll tell you what, we, what we're going to do just for the last five minutes. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for each and every person tonight within the sound of my voice. I speak great blessing over them. Father, I thank you that let them be encouraged when they really feel insecure and weak, that you're a God that imparts not only strength and ability, but you give them everything they need for what you're calling them to do. Lord, I ask you to release hope tonight for those that have felt hopeless. I ask you to release strength to those that feel so weak. I ask you to feel, let them experience security in you when they feel insecure. And Father, even in the midst when they step out and they fall flat on their face, Jesus, you are so well pleased with us because we were willing to fail and we learn from the struggles and the failures. Lord God, I thank you tonight that you release your love, your peace, your strength, and everything that you are to each and every individual. As I walk out of this place tonight, let them know they don't walk alone. They walk with you. Your Holy Spirit lives and dwells in them. If there's anyone here that says, wow, I just feel far from God, I want you to know just cry out from your heart. It's a feeling that's not true if you've received Jesus. And just let him come and let him be there for you. A friend in time of need. We give you the glory tonight in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Now, here's what I want you to do. And, you know, you've got about five minutes or so. I mean, we've got plenty of time. But I'd like you to take five minutes. I'd like you to just get with another person. I'd like you to pray for each other. Could be an area where you feel weak where you feel insecure. Maybe you're facing a struggle. I'd like you to pray with that person and just pray with the other person and just share. And uh, I would encourage you, if, if you're here with your spouse, I mean, you can, you can meet with them, you can do it with them, but it might be good for you to do it with somebody else. You know, just get with somebody else, even somebody you don't know. So go ahead and just team up with somebody, okay? Just find, find another person, just share, pray for each other. You share, then pray, they pray for you, then you pray for them after they share, okay? Go do that. God bless you, and then have a good evening and bring, it, bring a lot of people to Eddie James. <laughs>